You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. So we are in a section of Jesus' teaching with some challenging topics and hard sayings. And this famous clip that many of you have probably seen before from C.S. Lewis's Narnia movie gives a perspective that we always need to keep in mind. Um, As he says, Jesus is not tame, but he is good. He is good. Last week, Jesus taught us to be ready for his return, as they were explaining in the little clip that one day he will leave, and then one day he will return. So last week, he spent time teaching those around him and his disciples that we must be ready for his return. And how will he find us ready? Like, as we talked about the end times and everyone gets consumed with when it will happen, and what we were really looking at is how will he find you on that day? Will he find you expectantly waiting? Will he find you faithfully serving? And that's what Jesus was trying to point us to last week, and that's what he was showing us last week. Luke 12, which is the chapter, we're almost finished, where I decided to leave the last little section to tag on to chapter 13, the beginning of chapter 13, because of the, the flow of the thought and what is being said. But Luke 12 ends with a fiery blaze of judgment and an argument warning to find safety in Christ before it's too late. Fiery blaze of judgment. It's not a tame line. But he is good. So if you have your Bibles, look to open with me to Luke 12, verses 49 through 56. I'll read them and then pray for us and see what the Lord has for us today. The word of the Lord says this, and this is Jesus speaking, obviously. I came to cast fire on the earth. I would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Will you pray with me? Father, again, this is some hard sayings from Jesus that we need to understand what they mean and what he's saying. Lord, I know in here, Lord, there is so much help with a specific topic that every single one of us in this room struggle with. And Lord, I pray that you will help us see that today. Lord, I hope that you will help us to see who Jesus is fully, because we we just can't make him up in our own image. We've got to see him from what the Bible says. So, Lord, I just ask for your help in proclaiming the word, Lord. And I ask 
for your spirit to soften hearts, to draw attention to your word, to give ears to hear and eyes to see how wonderful and glorious Jesus is in all that he has done for us. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here in verse 49, we have a, an, another hard teaching of, of Jesus. He says this, I came to cast fire on earth. Hmm. What in the world does that mean? What, what are you saying here, Jesus? Like, you've come to cast fire on earth. There are a number of things the word uh, fire can be, mean in the Bible. I, I think within the context of the rest of what Jesus says it means kind of like what the Old Testament fire is looking at, and that is judgment. In other words, judgment is coming. He comes to cast fire on earth. And, and he even says he's, he's like, I wish it would be kindling. Like He's looking forward to when he comes back. This judgment. I come to judge the earth. God's judgment. I know that, that we don't like talking about that or thinking about that, but I think if we really take some time to think about it, we'll see that we need it. We'll see how it helps us with forgiveness. And that's what I hope that we will see today. I believe that the word here is judgment because you know, we know that sometimes that fire can refer to the Holy Spirit as it does in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples in the upper room, there were tongues of fire over their heads, but the context shows us here that it's not what Jesus is speaking about. He's not speaking about the Holy Spirit. He's speaking about his judgment. Jesus goes on because of what he talks about, about division and baptism. Jesus has to experience, and that fills him with this dread. So you see Jesus is looking forward to something that's about to happen, but he's, I think he is, in, within the context of our, our passage today, he is talking about judgment. And this is why Sam read 2 Thessalonians for us. We just look at the, the verses 5 through 8, and it speaks about judgment and fire. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with, just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And again, if we just step back and think about fire just for a moment, right? Fire only can do one of two things. It either consumes whatever it comes in contact with or it purifies what it comes in contact with. So this fire, this judgment that, that God is bringing, it's, it's either this purifying aspect of it or it's going to burn up. And we see many different pictures when Jesus talks about this where he talks about the chaff that is burnt. That's those that are get consumed and those that are being purified by his judgment and fire. Again, that's the only two things that fire does. It either consumes or it purifies depending on the nature of what it touches or it's burning. This is what Christ came to cast on the earth, the consuming, purifying fire of God's judgment. This is what he's coming to bring, his judgment. If we are in Christ, then we should rejoice about the purification of all things through fire. We should rejoice at that, that one day that so many of the things that affect us day in and day out are going to be gone. As we walk today, 
The earth is full of evil, is full of misery, is full of decay, is full of wickedness and oppression. Someday Jesus will appear on the earth and he will cleanse all the universe with fire. When he does, there will be nothing left but the precious. There will be no sorrow left. There will be no evil left. There will be no injustice left. There will be no death and decay left. We'll be in a new heaven and a new earth without stain. So when Jesus says, I come to set fire on the earth, he knows he is talking about something severe, but also something wonderful. Something wonderful. And Jesus says he yearns for that because anyone who is thoughtful yearns for judgment. And that might be a hard saying. Anyone who is thoughtful yearns for judgment. So let's take a moment and think about how we think about judgment. And again, I'm going to lean on Mr. Tim Keller and and a couple different counselors as I'm putting this all together. It seems like this quote comes up in many different places when we're talking about judgment. And really, the thing that that I hope that, yes, I want you to see who Jesus is, and you got to see who Jesus is, but I'm also trying to offer help by looking at what judgment does for us in our everyday walk with the Lord. So let's just take a moment to think about judgment. And when we do, we realize we can't face life if we don't believe someday the evil and the injustice are not going to be rectified. Like, there's a hopelessness if nothing is ever going to be rectified. But he's given us hope because he says, no, I'm going to come and make all things new. I'm going to make all things right. I mean, if we just think about it for a moment, do all villains get it in the end? Do all victims get vindication? Why do so many people who live for themselves and step on people to get where they want to go and get what they want seem to, and I'll put that in air quotes if I can, seem to prosper here on earth? It's a question we often think, is it not? Think about all the innocent blood that's been shed. Think about all the widows and orphans and unborn babies that have been killed. Think of the oppression and the injustice. What if there's no afterlife? What if there's no bigger world? What if there's no eternity? What if there's no judgment day? Not only does that mean we'll never be able to overcome injustice, but we can't even identify it because, you see, unless there is a standard, and this is what our culture just hates, Right? Objective truth, a standard. Unless there is a standard, an eternal standard by which everybody is judged, who's to say what is right and wrong? Isn't that the world we live in right now? Everybody's living by what's right in their own eyes. There is no objective truth. All truth is subjective. And I get to determine what's right and wrong. And the crazy thing is, and I had a wonderful conversation with, with the college students last in the fall semester, in the fall spring retreat, as we were talking about the norm. What's the norm? And they really enlightened me and showed me just how much the norm changes. Like whenever we're thinking about if we don't have a standard of what's right and wrong, and it's always a moving target, it's like one day they go into class and here's the standard, and the next day they go in and the standard has been shifted and changed, and then they might say something wrong or offend somebody, and it's like, That's insanity. 
But this is the hopelessness that we live in. And maybe that's what you feel, the pressure of, I don't even know what I can stand on today. Well, you can stand on this every single day. Because there is an objective standard, there is objective truth, it's found right here. Because it's it's been written by the one that created everything and brought everything into existence and holds everything together. We can stand on that. So we need some kind of a judgment in our thinking. And here's the quote, it's kind of a long quote. This is a philosopher thinking through this, but you guys are very smart people. You'll follow right along and and maybe it'll help you see that we need something here. That we could actually maybe take a moment this morning and think about judgment and think about what if we don't have it? What if there is no, if the Bible's wrong and God doesn't come and judge and set all things right? Aldous Huxley said this, Again, it's a long quote. I put it in bites. We'll walk through it, and I'm not going to give much commentary. I'm just going to let it hit you because you should, as we read it, you can think about the way you think about judgment. When I looked at the question of whether the universe had meaning and whether there was an afterlife and a judgment day, I did not come at it as an intellectual exercise. I wanted the universe to be meaningless because I wanted to be able to, do, to live the way I wanted To declare the universe meaningless was the only way I could be liberated sexually and politically. In other words, right, I get to do whatever I want when I want. I get to put myself on the throne and then I live however I want. It's that's a subjective way of living. There's no objective truth in your life. You're just living however you feel. That's what he says. This is what I chose. The judgment thing is, is he's going to get into. I wanted the universe to be meaningless because I wanted to be able to live the way I wanted. To declare the universe meaningless was the only way I could be liberated sexually and politically. There's a price to pay. Because if you believe there's no judgment, that all things are meaningless, so I can live any way I want, then I have to live with a despair. He's just kind of giving a testimony. There's a despair that we live with. Then I have to realize... My sense of right and wrong is complete whim. It's totally subjective. It's just my opinion. The good die young. Nice guys finish last. The villains will oppress people to the end of time. After it's all done, none of it will be repaid. I had to choose. Either I could believe in judgment, and then I would be crushed under a load of guilt all my life. See, this is really the reason why he's choosing the other where I could not believe in judgment and that I could live as I want, but live in existential despair all my life. Those are the only two alternatives. I choose freedom, liberation. So remember, this is not a Christian. He's just thinking this philosophically. So he's thinking, well, all I can see is two, two options. If there is judgment, then I'm gonna live the rest of my life in guilt because I know I don't measure up. But you know what? If I take judgment away, if there is no judgment, obviously, you know, he's kind of loosely referring to the the Bible, the afterlife, or maybe he's even thinking of different religions that have the same idea. Then I can live however I want, guilt-free. But you know what? As I live however I want, and I know that every single one of you have experienced this, is you live in this kind of a despair. You know why? Because all the things you're chasing after, all the things that you want to do, never fulfill. They never satisfy. 
They leave you hanging. They leave you longing for more. So he reveals the problem. If there is no judgment, what hope is there for the world? But if there is a judgment, what hope is there for me? Right? That's what, that's what, he's, what hope is there for me? If there is no judgment day, what hope is there for the world? But if there is a judgment day, what hope is there for me and you? Because we know we have failed. We know we have failed. You know what? Even if, even if um, we are just living our lives however we want, we have this idea that we have failed. We know it. We see it. If there's a judgment day, what hope is there for you and me? Because we know we have failed. We know we haven't lived up to the standards. We know we haven't even lived up to the standards for other people. What are we to do? Like, this gentleman has left us in this world of despair. Do we choose guilt or we choose hopelessness? Well, see, we keep reading what Jesus has to say. He said, I come, bring fire, and wish it was kindled. But he goes on and says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. What is this baptism he's talking about? You know, in Mark 8, when James and John are walking with Jesus, and you know, and they're, they're arguing about, hey, can I sit at your right hand? Can I sit at your left hand? They're trying to move in for authority position, right? Jesus says, and, and they said to him, grant us to sit one on the right hand and one on your left in the glory. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized with? What does this baptism have to do with fire? Well, it's about the cup. When Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo, he's not talking about his water baptism. It's already happened. John baptized him. What is he talking about? He's talking about the cup. He's talking about the cup of fire. What he is saying is, I am going to come to bring fire on earth, but before I can, the fire has to first fall on me. It falls on me first. So here you have a choice. You, you live in guilt or you live in despair. At least that's what the philosopher has come up with. But Jesus comes along and says, no. No. Right? There's, I have done something to help you. I have done something to help you. Do we meet the standard? No, we don't. I know my motives are self-centered. I, if I have to stand on my own before judgment, I am in trouble. And see, brothers and sisters, that's the good news of the gospel. You can't stand on your own, but Jesus has. And he has taken the judgment in your place. He has taken the fire in your place. The fire of judgment for those in Christ is kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace where the fire just swirls all around them. 
You are clothed with Christ's righteousness. So therefore, the, the guilt goes away because the, the penalty has been casted on Christ in your place. And therefore, the display goes away because he gives you a new identity and he sends you out on commission to be his ambassador. See, Christ fixes the judgment problem. The cup is empty. The wrath has been poured out. There's no more for you to take. See, the, the idea that, that, okay, I, I repented back then and I believed back then. No, they should be ING words. We live every day repenting. We live every day believing. So as we live that way, the fire is not any longer able to harm us. The judgment is no longer able to harm us. Now, wonderful, great truths. I hope that you hold on to that as guilt rises up and despair rises up and you're thinking about judgment, but we can be really practical about this also. Do you realize how different you would be if you believed this? If you truly believed this day in and day out and reminded yourselves of this, do you have people in your life you have a hard time forgiving? Do you have people in your life that you are bitter towards because of things that they've done? Which I know is just another way of saying you have a hard time forgiving them. Isn't that like one of the, the hardest things that as Christ has compelled us and told us and gives us this objective truth and this command that we should forgive others as we have been forgiven? And we're like, why is this so hard? Why can't I do this? This is so hard. But you just don't know what this person did to me. I understand that. I empathize with that. So does Jesus. But what's happening is we want our pound of flesh. See, what happens is, is on that judgment day, we, we want to make sure they get theirs because I'm good. Here's the truth that helps us. This is the truth that helps us forgive. This is the truth that helps us to let go of bitterness. Judgment will come. That's why this is so important. Judgment will come. Jesus will not let anyone get away with anything. He will not let anybody get away with anything. So therefore, it frees us up to be able to forgive those that have harmed us and hurt us. Big things and little things. Jesus will not let anyone get away with anything. But here's the hard thing to accept. Here's where we stumble. Here's the very hard thing that we have a hard time accepting. Either they will pay the price for what they did, or he will pay the price in their place. Either they will pay the price for what they did when judgment day comes because they're not in Christ or he has been or will pay the price for them. And now we're back to the Jonah syndrome, aren't we? We don't like that idea. I want my pound of flesh. But then we got to stop right where we're at 
And as we're processing this, and we're saying, no, that's not fair. No, that, that's not good. You mean, you're telling me this person did this horrific thing to me, that God has called me to forgive them, that you're saying that that person someday, someone might share the gospel with them, and they actually get saved, and then therefore they don't pay for anything, because Christ will pay for their sin also? And if you sit there and say, that's not fair, then you really do not know how much God hates your sin. Little, big, no matter what it is. And see, there's the crooks of the gospel. Because if you don't understand how, just sef- how far separated you are from God is, then it just jacks up your theology all over the place. Because if you're saying, no, that person should not be forgiven, then why should you be forgiven? But the beauty of the gospel is, is if you're sitting here in Christ today, you have been forgiven. And when we remind, just how, remind ourselves just how much we have been forgiven, then it frees our hearts to begin to. It ain't an automatic thing. No one's going to flip the switch and leave the door and automatically forgive someone. Maybe God will do something in your heart today, and that'll happen. And we will praise him for that. But it's usually a slow process of reminding yourself of that day in and day out. Because I know there's probably people sitting here within this congregation that has had some horrific things done to them. And you're like, Joe, you're telling me that, yes, sometime, might take a long time, keep working at forgiving. Keep working at reminding yourself the judgment day is coming. They will be judged. In Christ, Christ gets the judgment. Out of Christ, they feel the full weight of judgment. Either they will pay the price or he will pay the price. A Christian knows in the end all accounts will be squared. See, it's important sometimes to think about this hard thing called judgment because it affects many other places in our life. No doubt that this is hard to think about All accounts will be squared. Everything will be made right. No one will get away with anything. Nobody will get away with anything. We do do not have the capacity to play God in those areas, and that's what we try to do. We we don't have, we're we're humans. We're fallen humans at that. We don't have that capacity. Trying to give you some freedom today. Giving you the opportunity to forgive, or at least start down the path of forgiveness. All accounts will be squared. Every evil, every act of injustice will be restored. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on earth. And then Jesus doubles down and gives us another hard saying. What does he say in verses 51 through 53? Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Oh, wait a minute. I thought you came to bring peace on earth. 52, for from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Do you think I come to bring peace? No, I'm coming and dividing. 
What exactly is he saying? I mean, if he would have waited for his disciples to answer, what they, what they have said? I mean, we've already, we're in chapter 12 of Luke, so we already know some of the things that Jesus has said, like, I've come to bring peace, right? They would have said yes. This is what the Messiah was for, to bring peace. The Jews at that time generally believed that when the Savior came, he was established peace on earth by defeating Israel, enemies, and building a new kingdom. See the difference? They had their idea what peace is going to be like. Kick out the Romans, form our own government, rule the earth. It's like, no, I, I've, you've missed the mark a little bit. There's some truth to that. Eventually, that will absolutely happen. This expectation from the Jews, if they would have answered yes, or they probably would have answered yes, is based on all the ancient prophecies about the Prince of Peace. This was a misunderstanding that they often made. Jesus tried to correct them all the way through. Jesus did come secure peace. No doubt about that. With God. For those whose names are written in the book of life. There is peace. There's vertical peace. Right? The, the Jewish people were looking at this horizontal peace. And that does happen too. As you are reconciled with God. Again, he, he comes to divide. And he kind of gives this illustration between families and how when, when those that are, are following him and those that are his start believing his teaching and start walking in his ways, they'll divide families. So we should ask why. Why does he divide? Why does Jesus divide? Because of his self-centeredness of Jesus' teaching. There can be no neutrality. Now, I did not say that Jesus was self-centered, so don't soundbite me and say, hey, Joe's saying that Jesus was self-centered. I did not say that. Because of the self-centeredness of Jesus' teaching, there can be no neutrality. Jesus always talked about himself, did he not? And when and in that teaching, because he's saying, follow me, I am this person, I am God. Your loyalties must be with me. Because of that, it causes a divide. Look to me, he says. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. John 11 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, he asks. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, On the last day, many people will come thinking they're ready to get into the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus Christ looks at you and says, I don't know you, you can't enter. It's about him. It's all about him. What would our relationships be like? Many of you have maybe had this kind of relationship, right? Every time you sat down for coffee or over a meal, two minutes into the conversation, the person takes over the conversation, and 15, 20, 30, an hour later, they're still talking about themselves. And then we get up and we go and say, uh, I don't think I want to go back out for coffee with that person. We don't like that. We would probably end that relationship. So why do we not do that with Jesus? Well, because Jesus combines his self-centered teaching with this pristine, incredible, humble, compassionate, moral character, not to mention what he has done for us on the cross. 
As a result, we had the most unique person in the history of the world. Which kind of brings us to another C.S. Lewis quote that many of you know, that every single person has to do something with Jesus. And C.S. Lewis would famously say, he says, we got to decide, is he a liar, or is he a lunatic, or he is Lord? Because all three of those things come up because Jesus talked about himself all the time. So you got to decide, was he just a liar? Is he a lunatic? Because he talks about himself all the time. And maybe all the things that he says about himself are lies. Or maybe he is Lord. He is Lord. And right there is the divide. That is the divide. That's what divides everybody. Those whose eyes have been opened and see him as Lord are immediately brought from darkness into light. They are no longer hostile toward God. They become children of God. We are fundamentally changed. The Bible gives us the great picture of a being born again. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally doped with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has, has light with darkness? There's the two things. They can't go together like oil and water. And that's what causes the divide. And sometimes we sit and we're like, Man, there's people in my family that don't like me, and I've never done anything except I trust in Christ. And I've tried to love them. Just the divide, guys. He'll divide. Where do you fall on that division? Is he liar or lunatic, or is he Lord to you? Again, there's no fellowship between light and darkness, and that's the reason for the division. J.C. Rao offers this advice to us today. Let us never be moved by those who charge the gospel with being the cause of strife and division upon earth. Such men only show their ignorance when they talk in this way. It is not the gospel which is to blame, but the corrupt heart of man. It is not God's glorious remedy which is in fault, but the diseased natures of Adam's race, which, like a self-willed child, refuses the medicine provided for its cure. So long as some men and women will not repent and believe, and some will, there must needs be division. To be surprised at it is the height of folly. The very existence of division is one proof of Christ's foresight and of the truth of Christianity. It shows us the truth that there will be division. It doesn't mean that we don't love our loved ones or our friends, but there will be divisions because there is a stark difference between those that are born again and living for Christ and those that are living for themselves. Jesus was not content to leave things there, but pressed his listeners to make a decision. He had come to cast fire on the earth, the fire of judgment. He had a baptism to adore, the baptism of the cross. His work as Savior and Judge would cause a division that would cut right down to the center of the human race. But which side will you be on? This was the question that confronted the crowd, that confronts everyone. We are either with Jesus or we are against him. There's no in-between. When the fire falls, we will either be refined or be destroyed. There's no straddling the line. Either we trust in Christ and his cross, or else we ignore him and reject him. We are either with the people of God 
or against them. Jesus says to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Now, whether forecasting back then didn't have all the technology that we have today, it was not very sophisticated whatsoever. We just kind of looked at the nature around us and kind of predicted things. For example, a cloud rising in the west coming off the Mediterranean Sea was most likely bringing us rain. Right? But a dust cloud coming from the south, which is coming across the desert, is probably going to bring us scorching heat. Everybody knew the weather by simply observing nature. But see, they were blind to spiritual things. Here is God in the flesh standing right in front of them, and many of them turned away. Many of them walked away. They should have recognized the spiritual signs. Remember, Luke wrote the gospel so that we may have certainty concerning the things of Jesus. They should have recognized Jesus as the Messiah, the one who would both bring judgment and be the escape from the judgment. They should have seen it, then brothers and sisters, we certainly should see it. We have the testimony of the Gospels, which not only tell us what Jesus did, but also explain what it means. Then we have the rest of the New Testament to give us the true interpretation of Jesus and his salvation. Furthermore, we are living in the other side of the resurrection. God has raised Jesus from the dead, This is the sign that his sacrifice for sin has been accepted. And that now, through faith in him, our sins are forgiven, and we have the hope of eternal life. And then that fire that comes, it refines us and not destroys us. Do we see the sign? Do we see the signs of the the cross and the empty tomb? Do we understand what they mean for us? for everyday life, and for our eternal salvation. Trust Jesus for your salvation. Trust Jesus for your salvation because the fire will fall. Jesus said it will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I know that today's a a hard word, but Lord, I I pray that, that as we looked at judgment and what it means and Lord, I pray that by seeing that and knowing that and believing that, that, Lord, we can begin on the path to forgiving some people that we need to forgive. Lord, it may be some of the bitterness we have for people can fall off. Lord, I pray that you would begin that work in each of us today. Lord, I pray that we know that The judgment is coming so we don't have to feel guilty or we don't have to live in despair because Jesus has taken that judgment for us. Lord, keep that in our memory all day long. That you loved us so much to send your son. And Lord, I pray if today... Is a day that someone may be here that's 
is trying to straddle both lines of who Jesus might be, trying to live in their world and trying to live in his world. Lord, I pray that they would repent and fully trust in you. Maybe someone came today and, Lord, that they're trying to figure this Christianity thing out, but they see what you have done for them today. And that's only through your word and your spirit to give them ears to ear and eyes to see. Lord, I pray that they would turn and trust in you and continue to trust in you. Father, we just thank you for your word. We ask that you would grant these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.